Hey guys, I want to introduce uh, Tim to you, if you can uh, welcome Tim up to the front. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys have met uh, Tim before, but if you haven't, um, I just thought it might be good to get to know you, Tim, before you preach the Word of God to us. Um, now, mate, uh, you're on staff. Um, how long have you been coming to New Life for? So we've been coming since the beginning of 2018, so about a year and four months now. Excellent. Yeah. And um, you became partners with us and whatever before you got on staff teams. That was pretty good. Yep. Um, Tim, what do you do through the week? Uh, so I spent my week at Moore College in Newtown, which is the same college that Stuart went to, uh, that Jeff went to. Uh, and it's a training college for, for ministry, both in the Anglican Church, but also for greater mission and beyond Sydney. Yeah. Excellent. Um, who's in your family, mate? Uh, so I have a wife, Naomi, and, and a little cat called Simba. Um, we both live in Newtown at the moment, but we, we spend most of our weekends out here because we, we love it out here. So, yeah. Excellent. And, mate, Friday nights, where do we find you? Right here. So I'm right here helping out Michael with the youth. Um, it's been my passion since I was not a teenager. I didn't like teenagers when I was a teenager. But I, I st- I've been doing youth ministry for about eight years uh, back at St. John's in Camden, and it's still something great to just be involved with Michael and help him out while I'm here training. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, mate, you're just back from a week of mission. I'd love to ask you about that, but I want to let you preach the Word of God. If you want to know some more things about Tim and about what he's just been up to, please come and chat to him at Morning Tea. Um, and, uh, mate, I'm looking forward to what you've got to say, so I'm going to get out of your way. Thanks. That's good. It'd be great if you could uh, keep that passage open on Luke chapter 9, as we'll be referring to it uh, quite a lot, but let me just uh, continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is always with us, that you are a God who loves and cares for us uh, and who wants us to know you more. We just pray now as we look at your word that you will guide our hearts and our minds to, to listen and understand clearly what your will is for us in our lives. We pray that you'll guide what is spoken, that it is said for your name and in your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, is anyone here a plumber? Great. I can tell this story without being as embarrassed as I should be. Uh, this story t- I'm going to tell you, it's, it's about when my wife Naomi and I moved into uh, one of our houses that we were renting uh, about six years ago. It was actually my old family home that I grew up in, and my parents, they moved up into Brisbane. Uh, they retired. Well, they didn't. They got a new job in Brisbane. Now they're retired. They lived in Brisbane, and they offered us uh, my old house that I grew up in to rent. Uh, so we moved in, uh, and there was this tap in the bathroom that I had known since I was a kid that only did cold water, and, and it was the bathroom tap. So there's nothing more frustrating than going to the bathroom in the morning, and you go to wash your hands, and it's a minus two degree morning, and you, the water is cold and freezing and unbearable. Uh, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to make my life a little easier. I'm going to replace that tap. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do my own plumbing. Uh, don't do your own plumbing. <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. Unless you... Yeah, anyway, so I didn't think much of it. I thought, how hard can it be? I'll just go and buy a replacement tap. I, I checked under it, made sure that the connections matched, went to Bunnings, uh, found the tap that we really liked, bought it, and then I got about trying to remove the old tap. Uh, and the great thing with old construction is that they love glue. And so nothing comes off easily. So I'm sitting there trying to unscrew it, trying to do all sorts of things. So I decided the Jeremy Clarkson approach was the best, and I got my hammer. And I started hitting it in the hopes that it would come loose. And I sort of clawed it with the hammer. I was leaning back. At one point, I was sort of hanging off the, the, the cabinet, leaning back with the hammer, trying to pull out the tap while the shower glass door is right behind me. It was one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life. Uh, but I was having fun. And then I finally got the tap out, 
got the new tap in, and I went to put in the old piping, and the old piping snapped. Uh, and I had no idea what I was doing, so I first thought, I'm like, maybe duct tape, can, I'm really glad there's no plumbers in the room, maybe duct tape can fix it. So I wrapped in duct tape, plugged it in, turned on the water, it didn't work. I'm like, I'll try some sort of really powerful glue. So I got some super glue, <laughs> glued it together, didn't work. It just kept breaking, water just kept going everywhere, and it, became, it went from being fun to incredibly stressful and frustrating and difficult. Um, it was not, in the end, an enjoyable experience. So we had to actually sleep at my parents' in-law's house, which is incredibly embarrassing for me. Um, it's just, you know, masculine thing. Actually, I really am. Anyway, uh, I had to sleep at their house that night because we didn't have any hot water. Uh, and so the next morning, I went to Bunnings and, you know, got all the stuff I needed and fixed it. Uh, but what, why I'm telling you the story is that by doing that, it undermined my confidence to ever do my own plumbing again. Because of my bad experience, because of the difficulty I went through and the, the ultimate suffering that I endured because of my plumbing, I didn't want to do it anymore. I did end up doing my own plumbing later on, uh, but I learned from my lessons, and we'll get to that later on. But it was, it, my confidence was gone. And I'm sharing this because it's kind of like a microcosm for, for living a life for Jesus. We, we go out there and we are enthusiastic and we're keen and we're eager, and then we get hit with things. And our confidence, it drops. Our excitement drops. And even our passion for God can drop because of what's, been hit, what's hit us. And my, my goal today is to encourage you that Jesus has the power to help you live the new life for him. We're going to be looking at three key things of what this actually means from this passage and about the authority, about the power that Jesus has. We're going to look at the authority that Jesus has, the danger that that authority brings, and the power that Jesus shows to reinforce his authority. So we'll start right off with Authority, and we're going to, I'm going to read you again from Luke 1, 9, 1 to 6. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, if you look with me here at verse 1, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Uh, it's an interesting little side note in this story. Uh, I think when I read this when I was younger, I often would sort of read it really quick and go, yeah, yeah, the disciples are doing something. Let's get to Jesus and the 5,000. That's the big, that's the big moment. Uh, but I'm actually probably going to spend more time here in this little section because it, I think it speaks a lot to us about the reality of what it means to live a new life for Jesus. He sends out the disciples to go and do things. And what we're really seeing here uh, is a prelude, is a, is a warm-up, is, is a practice run for the book of Acts. He is setting up his disciples to go and do his work. Uh, as you know, the book of Luke was written by the same guy who wrote the book of Acts. So I don't think it's a coincidence that he deliberately creates this, well, it doesn't create, but recounts this specific event of the disciples' first time doing ministry. The disciples are told to do three very specific things. They're told to go and heal the sick, to drive out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to cure diseases. 
They're told to take nothing with them, to just go and walk. And they're told to dust the feet, the dust off their feet when they leave a place or a town that has rejected them. Uh, three very specific kind of instructions that Jesus has given his disciples as they go out and do his work. And what I thought I've thought of these, I was trying to figure out what do these actually mean, and I, thought, I kind of found three specific helpful things to, to think of when we look at these. And the first one is that what we see here is that faith is words and actions. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, all right, go and proclaim. Go and tell everyone. I mean, he does say that in some sections of the Bible. But the disciples are actually encouraged to, to not just proclaim, but to heal, to cast out demons, to cure diseases. And what I, what I notice is that it's, it's kind of this amazing, it was something Stuart pointed out to me, this amazing thing that they're, they're deliberately instructed to perform miracles. I'm a very skeptical person. Uh, I, I struggle, if I'm honest, to believe in the concept of faith healing. And I don't mean like pray and God will heal, but you know, the, I'm going to smack you in the head and your diseases will be cured. That's a struggle for me. And I think the skepticism in our culture has definitely made us not believe in miracles as much as we should. But what we learn here is that the gospel, the message of new life, is accompanied by wondrous things. It is accompanied by actions. I thought I was reflecting on what this actually means for me, and I think one of the big takeaways I have is that when I am out there living for God, it is not just about what I say, but it is about how I live and what I do and how I treat others. It is not a vocal mission. It is a life mission. Uh, did anyone ever buy any CDs in the, early, in the 90s and early 2000s? Most of you did. You know, do you notice how every single musician thanked God? Every single... I had a Blink-192 album, and the very first person they thanked in the, the, little, like the, the little booklet you got with it, it said, thank, uh, we thank God. And I think that's what faith is for a lot of people. We'll thank God, but we will live a completely different life. I mean, this is Blink-192. Their songs had nothing to do with God. They were probably the furthest from God at that point they could be. Whereas what we see here is the disciples are to go out, they are to, to proclaim, as Jesus says, but they are also to heal, they are to drive out, they are to show that they are coming from God in the way that they do things. It's words and actions. Second thing I want to say is that it's trust in action. They're to go out with nothing with them. I... Uh, I lost my phone, well, I broke my phone my second week of my second day of mission. I dropped it off a chair, and like most 21st century phones, it broke instantly. Uh, and the screen didn't work, and I couldn't make phone calls, and I felt lost. I had nothing. I didn't know where I was meant to be, I didn't know where I was meant to do anything. I had to follow this one guy around the whole week and be like, what's going on, what's going on, I don't have a phone. I felt lost. Uh, we're very dependent on things. Uh, what are we dependent on? If I challenge you to go a week without the internet, I don't think I could last it. A day without Netflix, that might be hard. What about a day without shoes? A day without a good bag to support your back? The disciples are encouraged to take nothing, just their sandals and the clothes that they wear. 
And what I, what I think this is, is that this is showing to us walking and trusting in God's providence. Because they're not to go and just suffer, they're to go and expect that God will provide for them through the generosity and kindness of those that they meet. They're not walking out here with nothing and just... They're not, I, I, there was these old sort of um, mind of train of thought in the, the early church that life was about suffering. And I, I wrote down the technical word and I accidentally deleted it this morning and I've forgotten what it's called. But aesthetics, that's right, thank you. Uh, and they believed that life was about suffering and that it's about deliberately going out and being in pain because that's what Jesus expects of us. But I don't think Jesus is expecting the disciples to suffer as much as he ex- is expecting them to trust that he will give them what they need as they do his mission. Another way to think of it is to live depending on God, not on the world. Depending on what God can give you, not on what you think you need when you walk out. Finally, there's judgment from action. Uh, This action that the disciples were instructed to do, to dust off their feet. Uh, It was actually a cleaning practice done by God's people, and it's established in Deuteronomy, um, in, the, in the Old Testament, that when they walk through a Gentile town, they are to dust off their feet as a sign of cleansing themselves and being holy again. And what's interesting here is that Jesus now takes this practice of cleansing and he flips it. It's no longer about becoming holy, but about judgment on those who reject him. And this is kind of good news because what we're seeing here is that God's the way that Jesus looks is he's moving beyond just my people to the whole world. This judgment isn't just for the Gentiles, it's for the Jews who reject the message of Jesus. It's for everyone who rejects. That's good news because that means it's also for everyone who accepts, doesn't get that judgment, doesn't have the dust of their feet cleaned off. But it's also a real warning about what it means to reject Jesus. There's a real judgment that comes from rejecting those who fed the message of Jesus. So it's a big challenge for the disciples. It's a big ask. I don't know how I would go being asked to do that. I'd like to think I'd be confident, but I haven't been asked yet, so we'll see how we go. But they don't just go out there on their own. There's this little thing at the very first verse. He says, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, and to cure diseases. He gave them power and authority. The disciples don't leave empty-handed. They leave with the power and the authority of Christ for them to wield. Was anyone ever left in charge of the house when their parents went away? It's kind of like that. It's not exactly, it's, it's, not, it's not the best metaphor, but it's like when your parents go away, they go, when your parents went away, they left you in charge. You were responsible. You had the power and authority to decide what happens. You were in charge. And that is kind of what Jesus is, is preparing the disciples for. Eventually, Jesus will, will return to sit at the right hand of God. And he will leave the power and authority through his spirit to his disciples to fulfill his work. When you were left in charge of the house, it wasn't do whatever you want and we'll be happy no matter what state the house is when we get back. Uh, I once put a hole in the wall and I thought if I moved furniture it would cover it, but 
my parents were pretty skeptical when they came home and discovered a lounge where it's not meant to be. They weren't happy with the state of the house that I had left it in. And it's, it's interesting, when, when Jesus leaves the disciples in charge, he's expecting good results. And we actually see that they get those uh, later on in this passage. It's not that you're in charge, do whatever you want. It's you're in charge and respect what I have given you, what is still mine. Now, I want to be cautious here because I'm speaking metaphorically. Jesus hasn't abandoned us. We're not currently on our own looking after an empty house. But it's to help us think about the idea that, that we have a responsibility and we've been given power and authority to do it. And this should make us confident because for us as God's people, we know that that power and authority has been given to all of us. It's a, just think for a second. You have if you follow Jesus, the power and authority of Christ. It's a pretty powerful thing to think about. It's a pretty dangerous and scary thing to think about. It means that there's responsibility, there's expectations. But it means you can do wonderful and amazing and see amazing things through his work. It also means that we are in danger. Which brings me to my second point, danger. And we get this little, little snippet in this, in this passage from verse uh, 7, if you'll look with me. Now, Herod the Tetrarch had heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things? And he tried to see him. This scene feels a little weird at first. Uh, we've just sent the disciples out. You kind of would expect to hear about all the wonderful, marvelous things that are going on, but instead we go to Herod. Uh, and he was sort of, for those, he was like the kind of king. He's referred to as a king or a tetrarch, but what he really is, he sort of works for the Roman government as the authority of the land, as sort of a, a pseudo king that respects them, but kind of has authority, but still works for the Romans. Um, and it's such an it's unusual scene with him because we, we learn some really awful things. We learn that John the Baptist is dead. It's kind of like, oh, by the way, John the Baptist died. The guy that Luke has spent a few chapters building up and emphasizing, hearing his story of his birth, his father being mute until he was able to name him, and then we just hear one sentence, who I beheaded. It'd be like if you were reading Harry Potter... And, one of the, and Ron Weasley just goes, oh, by the way, Hagrid's dead, let's move on. It's just this random line. He's, he doesn't die, I haven't ruined the book for anyone if you haven't read it. But it's just this random little line that, that seems like it should, there should be more emphasis put on this. And yet Luke quickly skips over it. He just states it and moves on. And I was thinking about how to look at this scene. Uh, and and I, what I was thinking was, is you need to imagine you're watching a 90s cartoon. And you know in 90s cartoons, you'd have like the, the subtitle, Meanwhile, and it would flash to the villain's base, and the villain would be planning and plotting and preparing. That's kind of what this scene is. It's the, the, the sort of enemy's castle, the villain's lair. And what we learn from this is that the work that Disciples is doing is successful, because Herod is now hearing of the wondrous things. It's gone beyond just a local town knowing that Jesus is powerful to the king, the governor of the area, hearing this news and being concerned. 
And what I've learned from this and what we learn from the Gospels is that the work of the Lord draws hostility. It encourages conflict. The three things we can never talk about, money, politics, and religion. The first two you kind of get, money, sort of, you know, jealousy, elitism, snobbery, we get why we don't talk about money. Politics, you just have to watch any of the news when it comes to politics and the way that discourse tends to, be, to go with politics. But then we get to religion. Why is religion so offensive? Why are we so offended by the notion that someone comes and saves us as a world? The message of Christ to this world is offensive and dangerous. To Herod, it was dangerous because it was a message of equality that, of, that completely threw the whole power structure of the world that he lived in on its head. There was a new king, a new authority. It's interesting, like, I reflect on many times when, when I've been with friends and they want to do something that I know is against what God wants of me, and I say no, and they don't go, okay, we respect your decision. They're like, come on, don't be a wuss. Maybe a loser. Why, why, why do we get insulted for wanting to live God's way? And I want to I stress that some of the anger directed towards God's people is earned. We have, as a church through the history of the world, earned some anger. We have treated people in ways that we shouldn't have, and, and I think, for the most part, we are repentant. But that hostility in some ways is earned. But when you really think about it, some of ways, it just makes no sense. When we love Jesus, it brings hostility. Not from Jesus, not from God, but from the world. But I want to say that that's actually a really good thing, and it's a thing to be praising God for, because one, it's what we're promised. It's a sign that we're heading in the right direction. Uh, I love playing video games, and there's a golden rule in video games is that and I don't know if this is appropriate, but if there's not something to shoot, you're heading in the wrong direction. It's the golden rule of playing a video game. And it's kind of like that with life. If, if, if you're following Jesus and there's not something that, that's coming at you, it may be that the Lord is just really wanting you to live comfortably, but I think we need to ask, are we heading in the right direction? John the Baptist's time on earth was done. He had done what he was here to do, and he died tragically. But he had prepared the way for Jesus. He had succeeded. He faced hostility, and he, he had his doubts. If you read the book of Mark, you know that John is desperately wanting to know if Jesus is the one because he wants to know that he's not imprisoned for vain, in, in vanity. Right Christ-centered living draws the attention of those who want to see his kingdom fail. Now, this might be really intimidating and a bit of a letdown, especially Jesus is going, all right, go and do my work. And then it's like, oh, by the way, Herod is, is, is now paying attention and you're all in trouble. And that's why I think Luke inserts this right before we get to the story of the 5,000. And I want to finish looking at the idea of Jesus' power. Uh, this is an awesome story. It's a story that many of us have probably heard. They gather. Jesus teaches 5,000 people. They realize they have no bread. Some of the stories, there's bread and fish. Some of the stories, it's bread. Whatever, the whole point is that Jesus feeds 
5,000 people with a tiny amount of food. It's this wondrous and marvelous story. Uh, but there was a few things that I actually thought were really important to highlight in the story. Uh, and the first one is that Jesus doesn't use his schedule as an excuse to abandon people. Uh, you may notice that in this, the beginning of this, he says, when they returned, they re- from verse 10, they returned, reported Jesus what they had done, they withdrew by themselves to a town called, Beth- called Bethesda, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. They withdrew. Uh, you might remember Stuart has talked about the, the need and the example of Jesus withdrawing at appropriate times to rest. And here they do it again, but this time it doesn't work. And they follow him. Now, Jesus could have got up and said, sorry, guys, it's my rostered day off. I'm busy. We're having a break. Can you come back tomorrow? No, he looks at them and he has compassion and he loves them. And he foregoes the rest that they had planned to teach them and show them love. And sometimes what I think we need to learn is that sometimes we need to put aside our plans to help others so that they can know Jesus. So that we can help those in need. I want to advise caution, though, because I think if you take this too far, you end up with the kind of person who never rests and they break down. And so I want to encourage you as a congregation to be mindful of your your ministers, of your staff, uh, as they do work very hard and they do often forego their moments of rest to help and care. Uh, That's not saying don't ask them for help, but be mindful of that and supportive of that. Then we have the actual feeding of the 5,000. It says 5,000 men, and I went and looked up the Greek, and the actual word is men, so it is talking about 5,000 men. And whenever you see that in ancient languages, it means that there are other people with them, whether it be wives, children, other women, So it's probably more than 5,000 men. Uh, I want you to imagine that kind of scene. I want you to imagine 5,000 people. How many people do you think you get at carols? Does anyone, what's the numbers for carols? Do we know? When it's not raining, when you're on the field? About 2,500. So imagine five of those, or like 20 of this full room. Probably a bit more than that. I think 100 maybe. That's a lot of people. And then he feeds them. And it's this, it's, this, it's this crazy moment. I think we underestimate. We go, and Jesus fed 5,000. Okay, cool. Think about the logistics of that. They split them up into groups of 50, which means if there was just 5,000 people, you would have 100, yes, 100 groups of 50. And there's more than that. And then they've somehow got to get the food. I feel like you would start at 9 in the morning and finish at 3 a.m. It would be, but it's this spectacular moment of just, this thing happens. And we even see that Jesus, you know, he doesn't just go, all right, here's the food, and he clicks and appears. He looks to heaven. He acknowledges his father, and he breaks the bread. Uh, we're not clear on how this miracle actually works. We're not, it's, maybe it's like a, uh, you know, the never-ending box of Tim Tam ads? It's like he breaks the bread, puts it in the basket, and then it just grows back, and he keeps breaking the bread. We don't know. could be that he just pulls baskets from somewhere. Are we, it's not really clear how the miracle actually works, other than the fact that the Lord is addressed before the miracle is performed. And I think the the vagueness of the actual performing of the miracle is deliberate. 
When you think about the blind man, Jesus spits in the mud, he rubs the mud on his hands, and he rubs his hands and his eyes. There's these deliberate practices throughout. Yet all we get from this is that Jesus looked to the Lord and broke his bread. And we learn that he is relying on God to perform what is coming. But it also helps us understand who this miracle is for. I don't think this miracle is performed mainly for the people who need food. I think this miracle is performed for the disciples to understand who Jesus is. Because when you think about the disciples' request, it makes absolutely no sense. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him cure the blind, a paralyzed man walk. They've seen him heal a child from two days of walk distance away. And yet they come to Jesus and go, how are we going to feed them? We don't know. We're not sure. And what I, what I can see from this passage is that the disciples just do not get who Jesus is. They do not understand it. So when Jesus tells them, you feed them, he's challenging them to use the power and authority that he gave them to feed these people. And we we know that they've come back and they've shared the wondrous and marvelous things, and yet they just don't get it. And they really honestly don't get it till the book of Acts. They don't really understand the authority, danger, and power that Jesus has until that moment, Until until the moment of the cross when he dies, is buried and rises. It's then that they're able to understand how to live their life. I was thinking about what does this all mean for us uh, as we live this life. I think the question we always need to ask ourselves is, who is Jesus for you, to you? Is Jesus just a guy who is really nice? Is he your homeboy, as they used to say, the shirts used to say? Is he your friend? Is he your king? Is he your savior? Is he someone that you think can give you authority? That can give you the power that you need to face the dangers of this world? I talked about plumbing at the start. Uh, I did have to plumb again. That's probably not the right word. Do my own plumbing again. And what helped me that time was to talk to people. Was I talked to my brother who'd done it before. I, I went on Google, YouTube. Marvelous. I researched, I looked, and I think that's what I want to encourage you today to consider. As we, we look to who Jesus is, we can't do this one. We can't do it on our own. The disciples didn't go, all right, John, you're out first. You're going out. Come back, tell us how it goes, and then I'll send out Simon. He sent them out at once to people that he knew would believe and welcome. It was not a one-person job. You are not alone as you walk with Jesus. Secondly, we do have his word, and that's really important. You've got the power and authority, and you know you have the power and authority because it's promised to you by Jesus in the words of God. And if you want to know more about who Jesus is, I encourage you to keep reading. If you've never met Jesus, if you don't know who Jesus is, I want to encourage you that it is a wonderful and marvelous thing to know that your sins are forgiven and that you can walk with his power and authority. Let me finish in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you have died for us on the cross, that we stand forgiven now as your people with your power and authority to do your work. We pray as we uh, consider and desire and look to spread the message of new life to the community of Oran Park and the greater world, that you will give us the strength and courage that we need to trust in your authority and to lean on your power as we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.